first reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 to 21. On Abraham's return from defeating Kerolanoma and the allied kings, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, which is now the king's valley. Then the king of Salem, Melchizedek, bought food and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he promised the blessing on Abraham. Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of the heavens and the earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered you, your enemies, into your hands. Then Abraham gave him a tithe of all the booty. Here ends the first reading. The second reading is taken from the Gospel according to John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Two days later, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also among the guests. The wine gave out. So Jesus' mother said to him, There is no wine left. He answered, That is no concern of mine. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. There were six stone water jars standing near the by, of the kind used for Jewish rites of purification, each held from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now draw some off, he ordered, and take it to the master of the feast. And they did so. The master tasted the water, now turned into wine, not knowing its source. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He hailed the bridegroom and said, Everyone else serves the best wine first, and the poorer only when the guests have drunk freely. But you have kept the best wine till now. So Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee the first of the signs which revealed his glory and led his disciples to believe in him. Here ends the second reading. Did you know that already in 2018 we have mined over 2 billion 85 million tons of natural resources. And that was at the time of writing this. Since then, it will have alarmingly increased, which the website that's just popped up on the screens will show. This is theworldcount.com, and it helpfully, if slightly alarmingly, gives a whole load of statistics about how much resources we're currently using, how much waste we're creating, so, yeah, if you stop there, Helen, tons of waste dumped at the 
scrolling number 118 million, or nearly 119 million. Below that, hours of slave work globally so far this year, over 7 billion. I'd encourage you to go and click around on this website. There's loads of different, and the front page actually refreshes all the time with different statistics, but there are different subheadings at each uh, for different areas. Food wastage, the statistic I gave you around how much natural resource we've already used. This website is scary. Did you also know that on average, everyone uses 16 kilos extracted from the earth every day? So that's metal, fossil energy, and minerals. For us in the West, that can be up to 57 kilos. Who's got a smartphone in their pocket? And by that, I mean a phone with a touch screen of some description. Yeah, wave it at me if it's easily accessible. Yeah, mine's already, mine's in my, don't worry, it's on silent, it's fine. We use our phones and things like that daily. 42 different types of minerals uh, are in that, in that one phone. 42 different types. A TV requires 35, a computer more than 30 as he stands here holding an iPad. A newborn infant will need 360 kilos of lead, 340 kilos of zinc, 680 kilos of copper, 1,630 kilos of aluminium, 14,800 kilos of iron, 560,000 kilos of stone, sand, gravel, and cement. Production of mined metal commodities is expected to increase by 250% by 2030. And most of this will originate from small and medium-sized mining operators, particularly in developing countries. And it's those companies in those developing countries that often don't have the rules and the safeguarding uh, that we have in our, in our mining operations. So pollution will increase. Number of deaths linked to mining will increase. The general impact of what is becoming quite a damaging industry or has been a damaging industry will continue. Thanks, Helen. We can take that one off the screen if you just flick it to the holding one. So plastics are also making the news at the moment. There's a growing awareness of just how much plastic we create and therefore how much of it we waste. Supermarkets are being questioned as to why fresh fruit and vegetables are being wrapped in the stuff, especially when it's not even made to be recyclable. My biggest frustration with Marks and Spencers is that I either have to choose the bananas that are either wrapped in plastic and fair trade, or the bananas that are individual and not fair trade. So I have to make an ethical choice just to buy bananas, which have also already been flown in and therefore count to my carbon footprint. M&S is actually one of the better supermarkets when it comes to ethical consumerism, but considering that supermarkets collectively waste close to one million tons of plastic every year in the UK alone, it's hardly changing the world. We're becoming increasingly aware of how much plastic is hidden in things that we would never have thought or perhaps hoped it would be in. Chewing gum, clothing, disposable coffee cups, including recyclable coffee cups, drinks cans, glass jars with lids, random one, glitter, corn-based biodegradable packaging, so even things that are made to be not made with plastic have elements of plastic in them, produce stickers, so you know when you go up and you buy a pepper and it has a barcode on it, unnecessarily, that's made from plastic. Alarmingly, tea bags have a, a shockingly high percentage of uh, plastic in them. Tetra packs and, again, weird enough, tin cans. Some of these we can 
pretty much easily removed from our lives with very little impact on how we shop. However, it does take time and effort to investigate this, and that can be problematic. The current government's proposals to become a world leader in environmental issues by 2030, particularly waste and plastic, are almost laughable given the current bleak state of affairs. Greenpeace estimates that 12.7 million tons of plastic end up in our oceans every year. And so any hope of change needs to be radical, and it needs to happen now. So some photos in a moment are going to come up on the screen, or a photo is going to come up on the screen. I think it came out a while ago, um, but it's been re-released recently. Um, it's not the most pleasant of images. Um, well, I was going to give you a little warning about that, but it's already up on the screen. Um, so don't look. It's not very nice if you don't want to look. But basically, you can flick over Helen, it's fine. Um, it's a, a picture of a bird that is decomposing around the plastic that it has consumed in its lifetime. Um, and analysis of the birds that show this or have this are that they all died premature. And I, I, I think it's quite clear to see literally all in that center area of the bird it's just plastic. Um, and there are a number of these photos online. Um, right, so we can flick off that image. Perfect, thank you very much. It's a simple fact that our consumption levels are just too high to maintain. So we're just going to watch a short video now. So the first video, please, Helen, which will uh, begin to introduce us to that. World population is expected to reach about 9 billion Self-serving and futile as it wouldn't work. 
we should be trying to do is to make consumption rates and living standards more equal around the world and to do it at a level the planet can sustain. The question is, how can we do this? So it may feel and sound based on the statistics that I gave you and what that video is saying, that it's a, a fairly bleak state of affairs. And you're probably beginning to ask yourself whether you've come to church this morning or a lecture on ecology and sustainability. So let's bring in a little bit of church now. The interaction between Abraham and Melchizedek in our reading from Genesis is depicted in the image which I'm going to ask Helen to flick up on the screen by an Ethiopian artist. It shows Abraham offering his tithe to the figure of Melchizedek, who blesses him and stands beside the bread and wine he shared. <coughs> Helen, you can just leave it up for a bit, that's fine, thank you. Melchizedek is a fascinating character, one who assumes the role and messianic title of high priest. He is the ruler priest of Salem, the precursor to Jerusalem, and is only mentioned in scripture a handful of times. Some contemporary Christian thought believes Melchizedek to uh, symbolically represent a pre-incarnate Christ, this being affirmed by the incarnate Jesus using bread and wine to represent the new covenant, just as Melchizedek institute, uh, instituted a covenant of tithing with Abram through the same means. In fact, it's likely that Melchizedek and Abram were both related, as they both belonged to the Horite order of ruler priests, who maintained the strict custom of only marrying and reproducing within the same community. The author of Genesis admits, admits rather, uh, Melchizedek's genealogy, perhaps to lend uh, authority to his other world and high priest skill set, as well as um, uh, mentioning that his name literally means king of righteousness and king of peace, or king of Salem. And those names are familiar to us because they sound like names that we would give to Christ. So it's in that context of our reading of Genesis that we frame one of the more well-known signs that Jesus performed the turning of the water into wine at the wedding at Cana. My friend whose real, only real contact with anything churchy or anything of the Christian faith is through me, love this story for obvious reasons. They feel like Jesus is someone they can get on well with because he turns a lot of water into a lot of wine. John prefers to use the language of signs, not miracles. Now, often when we talk about what Jesus does or what Jesus did, we use the language of miracle. But John chooses the word sign. It's pointing to something. It's acknowledging that Christ is doing something else. There's something other than what's going on in the present. It's pointing to something beyond that moment. The supernatural occurrences of Jesus are many, but John uses this to mark the start of Jesus' ministry. And wine is clearly a very important image for those who tell the narrative of Jesus' life. And just as in the account of Abraham and Melchizedek, wine acts as a bringing of refreshment, of nourishment, of the start of something new, bold, and life-giving. It is in this that we find the real challenge of this text and the abundant goodness of what Christ gives. It would be easy, and I think it often happens, for this sign to be trivialized. It's not that important. Jesus is only turning water into wine and it's for a party for crying out loud. It's not like he then invited the impoverished to come in and share the wine or he didn't casually heal someone on the side to show what he could do. 
the entire focus of this act is on the eschatological ramifications of both Jesus' dialogue with his mother, Mary, and the sheer volume of wine produced. First, his interaction with Mary. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. That's not a resentful child, annoyed at his mother for embarrassing him at a party, but rather the son of God stepping up and into his role, forewarning all that the time of his glory is not yet upon them. Hour is another word that John likes to use, and it's weighed down with symbolic meaning, just as sign points to something else. Hour has this weight of something is coming. The hour of Christ is coming. Mary responds to this dismissal by completely ignoring it and simply instructing the servants to do as her son asks. She implicitly trusts that he'll be able to resolve the situation that he will be able to provide. So far, so normal. But have you ever stopped and acknowledged just how much wine was produced? Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. However Jesus actually did it, and we're not told how, we just know that when the server opens the jars, he tastes fine wine and not the water that should be there, he ended up creating between 120 and 180 gallons of wine, which if we go with the top end of 180 gallons, is just over 78 bottles of wine as we measure them. And that is after they've already consumed however much wine had been sent out for the party beforehand. This is an extravagant display of abundant giving. As with the water jars that were filled to the brim in verse 7, God's presence now fills the world up to the brim. As Jesus' first public act, the changing of water to wine symbolizes the fullness we have all received through Jesus' presence in the world. And such abundance is not unfamiliar to us. It is woven throughout the stories of God's interaction with humanity recounted in our scriptures. Abraham offering Melchizedek a tenth of everything in response to the blessing and giving of bread and wine is a display of abundant giving. And so we see as well in the creation narrative of Genesis 1, a world that is so abundantly filled with life. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the world of animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God created the world full of life, full of abundance. And yet so many in our world live a life without that abundance. According to that website that I shared with you, over two million people this year have already died from hunger. This year, it's the 21st of January, Yet there has been 40 million tons of food wasted. 
40 million tons. Mahatma Gandhi is well known for saying, the world has enough for everyone's need, but not enough for everyone's greed. The creation narratives in Genesis are also very clear in highlighting who is responsible for this world and therefore who is responsible for the imbalance that has been created. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have stewardship over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals to the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. One of the other statistics that was on theworldcounts.com is that within 30 years, we will have run out of seafood. There will be no more fish or anything that lives in the sea if we carry on farming the way we are currently farming. And let them have stewardship over the fish of the sea. It's pretty damning. So what do we do about it? Helen, if you wouldn't mind playing the second short video. It is currently estimated that we would need 1.6 planet Earths to provide enough food for everyone to participate in consumption rates the same as the West. That's just 1.6 Earths for food. Yet one Earth is all we have. One Earth so abundantly filled and yet so devastatingly misappropriated. Whilst it might seem that the best option for us all is to hope for colonization of our solar system, or perhaps beyond, how can we go anywhere when our current house isn't even kept in order? The first step towards reconciliation is accepting that there is a problem. The West and Global North take from others to sustain lifestyles far beyond abundance, lifestyles that are often simply greedy. And yet, Christ came to bring abundance for all. The 180 gallons of wine should remind us that there is more than enough, that God did not create a world that only some could thrive and that the majority would suffer in. The second step is to begin to take action. Commit to some of the suggestions made in the second video, and if you want to, some more ways to make a difference, I have a list. Because I'd argue that whilst everyone, even one person, lives in a world that offers them nothing but hunger and suffering, that none of us have yet found life in abundance. Let's come before the Lord in prayer this morning. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lord, we confess the way in which we as consumers take for granted and take advantage of the world that you have given us. We thank you for the foundations on which we are built. We thank you for this creation that you have gifted us. We thank you for the abundance of your blessing. And we are sorry that we have not learned how to share. But Lord, Challenge us, guide us, and teach us to surrender again. Let our giving be water turned into wine. Remove from me my vanity and my lies. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Convenient for those around us. Lord, we feel powerless, overwhelmed, small in the face of such numbers. Small in the face of those that have power, those that make decisions. Small in the face of our leaders. We think of ongoing conversations around Brexit. We think of all the reviews that are happening with the Carillon and the building world and the contractors and the, those that have and have not and those that will be making decisions. We think of the US government this week being shut down. Lord, in the face of all these things, all we can ask is that you challenge them, that you guide them, that you teach them to surrender to your wisdom, that you turn their water into wine. Remove from them vanity and lies, give them neither poverty nor riches. Feed them with the food convenient for them. Lord, we know that your blessing is not only in the material, but in the spirit and the comfort too. We think of those this week in our community and our family who are grieving, who are in distress, in pain or ill. We think of those who hurt in body and in mind. And we lift them up to you now. We think particularly of Josh and his family, and Kathy and Saeed and their family, and all the others that we lift up in prayer week by week. Florence and Veronica, with those names in our heart, and we pray for life, Lord, we pray for the joy that we also see when we gather together, we pray this week particularly for Tuesdays at Bloom, for those that have seen the world change around them, seen shifts in society, in consumerism, in politics. We thank you for the joy and the laughter that we see on Tuesdays. We thank you for the gifts of volunteering and time that we see from those that turn up to cook, to chat with, to play games with. And Lord, we ask you to comfort us cry with us, to laugh with us. Help us surrender again ourselves to your love.
your water be poured out to us and your spirit turn it to wine in our lives. Move far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Pray for those that are trapped by violence, by fear, because of greed for resources, because of greed for power. Because of desire for what could be and fear of what might be. Pray all those that are caught up in war. We think of Afghanistan and we think of Syria. We pray for peace in the face of the threat of violence. We pray for the tensions, that your peace will be poured out on the tensions between North Korea and South Korea and the U.S., Teach us how to be the change for peace that you want to see. Help us challenge this world. Help us guide others. Help us show lives that surrendered to you. Let us turn the water that others have into wine and show them abundance. Help us remove from them all vanity and lies. Help us share with them so they are neither in poverty nor riches. Help us feed them with food that is convenient for them. Lest we be full and deny you and say who is Lord. Or lest we be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Challenge us. Guide us. We commit this morning again and surrender to you. We will share your abundant blessings. We will share your water. We will share your wine. Amen. Amen.